Hey there, Ken folk. This is Uncle Maduro. Look, if y'all been enjoying these little pie talks here I'll be giving, then won't y'all consider buying old Uncle Maduro a cigar? You can go right there to my little wave page there and donate. Donate to Uncle Maduro just for the price of one cigar. And man, let me tell you, I keep on doing these little talks here that I be giving. So now that I've done harassing y'all like a cigar at the beach, let's get back to the talk. All right now. How y'all doing there? Sure like to thank y'all for stopping by to have a cigar with Uncle Maduro. Man, look at here. Now y'all knows before we get started, all they tell y'all what I'm smoking on. And tonight, I'm smoking on one of my favorite sticks of all time. It's a CAO Amazon Basin. Now, before I tell y'all what I think about my favorite stick here, I'm going to tell y'all what these folks say, okay? They say this is one of the rarest CAOs you can find. If you can find it, it's worth it. With only 2,000 boxes made. If you see these, grab them up. This Toro uses filler from five different countries, including from the Amazon rainforest. Then it's wrapped with an oily Ecuadorian Sumatra wrapper. And for some extra flash and old-fashioned Brazilian tobacco banging. Unique, rare, and delicious. This Amazon basin is a must-have. And let me tell y'all something. This is a good stick, man. The first time I had this stick, I was down in the villages. A place, a cigar spot down there called Low Ball Louis. Now, I was in his little yung door looking for something that, you know, I can't quite find at my cigar spot rise, right? And I spotted this one. As soon as you walk through the door, you look to the right, it was right there on the shelf. Doesn't have a band or anything on it, just have a like a string or a rope tied around the end. I thought it was kind of interesting. And plus, the price, the price point was good, too. I think it was like right, about 9 or $10 somewhere up in there. So I picked this stick up, and let me tell you something. From the first puff of lighting this thing up, I truly enjoyed it. Seriously, I really enjoyed this cigar. And so, since they're so rare, the guy told me it's rare, I picked up a few and I put them in my humidor. So every chance I get, whenever I see any out during that season, I always buy a few and put in my humidor. This one I'm smoking now since it is coming out for the Christmas holiday. I've had it in my humidor probably, I would say, for probably... I would play probably about four or five months I've had it in my humidor. And since it's the holiday, I finally decided to smoke it. But let me tell you something. If you ever get a chance, y'all pick up this CAO Amazon Basin. You got to try it. Now there's a couple more CAOs also in the, in this in this uh in this in this Amazon Ram here, right? That looks sort of like it. You have one, like the one I'm have here, it just has the single rope around the end, but you have another one with the rope goes all the way down. Now, we'll talk about that at a little later time when I pick one of those up. But if you ever get a chance, go to your local cigar spot first. And since these are so rare, if you can't find it at your local cigar spot, then y'all go online to one of them JR cigars or somewhere like that and see if y'all can find it. See if the seasonal out. And buy a couple of them. Buy plenty of them. Put in your humidor just to keep around. You cannot go wrong with this stick here. Now look here, now tonight, we're going to talk about something that I've always wanted to talk about, and not so much talk about, always want to kind of do a little research on, to find out for myself, because uh, a lot of times, you know, you watch all these movies, like I was watching this movie called Mississippi Burning, with Samuel Jackson, and I looked at the jury, and it was an all-white jury, 
right? So, you know, my mind, I'm always looking for the most craziest things when I watch stuff, right? It's like I can look at, you know, somebody can be talking and I'm not looking at them. I'm looking behind them. You know, I'm looking at what's on the wall. I'm looking, looking at the presentation behind them. You see what I'm saying? So I'm looking at a lot of crazy stuff, you know. I like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm the type of guy who like that abstract art. I see patterns in abstract art because there's patterns in everything. But I was looking at this jewelry thing, and I was watching a couple, more, uh, my old, what I call B-movies, you know, during the holiday season. I like to go back and watch B-movies. Like I watch uh, I Little Sidney Poitier and, uh, and Bill Cosby. 1973, let's do it again. Man, that's a good, that's a good show there. And I was watching Cotton Comes to Harlem. And then, uh, I was, oh, I watched a real horrible one. I didn't know it was so horrible, but back when I was a little Philly, it wasn't horrible. Dolomite, Disco Godfather. <laughs> Boy, that's a silly movie. But back then, in the early 70s, that was so funny. Disco Godfather, boy. And then I, then I watched a little of uh, Hell Comes to Harlem. I had to turn it off then. You know, Hell Comes to Harlem. That's with uh, Fred Williams. Fred Williams was a bad boy back in the day. It, but it was horrible, though. Oh, my goodness. But back in the day, those were our movies, right? But in each of these movies, some of the, well, not each of them, but a few of the movies, you know, you look at some of the court scenes, right? And they're all white folks. So when you look at some of the, uh, some of the trials of our time, you know, when you look at some of the jewelry, the jewelries are all white. Now, we've had this thing for a year, like, what is what is jewelry of your peers mean? What does that actually mean? Jewelry of your peers. Does, does your peers mean if you're white, you got to have all white folks, you know, judging you? If you're black, you got to have all black folks judging you? If you're Hispanic, you got to have all Hispanic. What does jewelry of your peers mean? Now, I've had this perception or this conception of what jewelry of my peers mean because of course I'm listening to I'm listening to everybody else right you know we had the internet back then and there's something they didn't teach you in school so there's a whole lot they ain't teaching kids today so we judge things by this mis by this misnomer what we think it is so what I did here uh, I asked Mr. Google I asked Mr. Google you know, I did me an in-depth look because I don't want to keep being ignorant of things, especially I'm grown now. See, when, when you're young, you can be ignorant of things when you're young because you listen to everybody else, especially ignorant grown folks. So you become ignorant by listening to ignorant folks. But now I'm a little grown. If I think about something, I want to do a little studying on it. And that's how I am now. On this little pie talk, I just bring y'all little things that I be figuring on. If I'm figuring on something, you know, I want to do a little background. I don't want to, I don't want to back the old days you got you to gotta go ask the tribal chief about what's going on. Or you got to go ask the preacher about what's going on. And, and they give you their little rendition of little everything. So now we got the internet now. We can do a little bit more research on our own. And instead of staying ignorant, right, we can find out a little information on things. And like the Dalai Lama always said about Buddhism, I love that philosophy. He said, if there's anything in, if, 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 uh, if there's a teaching in Buddhism, but science or you find out that that teaching in Buddhism is not correct or it has been updated then Buddhism should change you know he said something like that and that's how I kind of think I think if you've been thinking a certain way all your life if new information come to light then you need to change you need to change your thought 
And people think that changing your thought is so difficult, but changing your thought, your thought ain't difficult. You just got to do it. If you believe that, that like, like we all going to learn today here about, you know, what actually do jewelry your peers mean? If you, if you see something interesting in here that, comes, that, that goes against what you always been thought, uh, taught, then you need to change your thought. Okay, now I'm not gonna get off into it and get get uh in depth right now because this thing here is pretty interesting and I found it really really interesting. It changed my mind about a few things and also confirmed a few things, but not so much confirmed a few things, but how the how things actually operate. And I think that we need to take a look at this this judicial system and see how do things really operate. So right now I'm gonna shut my mouth and I'm gonna spoke on my. Up on my CAO Amazon Basin, while y'all take a listen to this here, and then I'm gonna come back on the flip side and we're gonna talk about a few things, all right? All right, all right, now let's take a look at racial discrimination in jury selection. Racial discrimination in jury selection has a long history in the United States, it is specifically prohibited by law, which has been defined through a series of judicial decisions. However, juries composed solely of one racial group are legal in the United States. While the racial composition of juries is not dictated by law, racial discrimination in the selection of jurors, regardless of the jury's ultimate composition, is specifically prohibited. Depending on context, the phrases all-white jury or all-black jury can raise a host of expectations, among them, as MIT social neuroscientist Rebecca Sachs notes, the expectation that deliberations may be less than fair. Current precedent and legal challenges. Further information, jury selection in the United States faults within the jury selection process. Under the standards set forth by the United States Supreme Court in Strader v. West Virginia and Batson v. Kentucky, the striking of a juror on account of race denies a defendant equal protection under the Constitution. However the court held that a defendant is not entitled to a jury containing or lacking members of any particular race, and the striking of jurors for race-neutral reasons is permissible. This standard has been extended to civil trials in Edmondson v. Leesville Concrete Company and on the basis of gender in JEB v. Alabama XREL. TB. United States. Following the American Civil War, the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments to the U.S. Constitution had abolished slavery and guaranteed basic civil rights to African Americans, the Civil Rights Act of 1875 extended this to public accommodation and jury selection, including the establishment of criminal penalties for court officers who interfered. Sector 4, that no citizen possessing all other qualification which are or may be prescribed by law shall be disqualified for service as grand or petit juror in any court of the United States, or of any state, on account of race, color, or previous condition of servitude, and any officer or other person charged with any duty in the selection or summoning of jurors who shall exclude or fail to summon any citizen for the cause aforesaid shall, on conviction thereof, be deemed guilty of a misdemeanor and be fined not more than $5,000. The United States Supreme Court ruled in 1880 in Strader v. West Virginia that laws excluding black people from jury service violated the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment, yet in Virginia v. Rives, 1879, the court denied an appeal from a black defendant who asked that black jurors be made at least one-third of his jury, noting that an all-white jury was not in itself proof that a defendant's rights had been violated. Nevertheless, Southern states easily evaded Strader and set up other ways than explicit legal bans to exclude black Americans from jury service. In 1883, the Civil Rights Act of 1875 was overturned entirely by the Supreme Court, in an 8-to-1 decision. In 1896, the landmark Plessy v. Ferguson decision enshrined the unofficial civil code term Jim Crow, 
ranging from separate but equal accommodation to voter disenfranchisement and jury exclusion, blacks were thus denied access to the public, political, and judicial spheres. In the 1931 case of the Scottsboro Boys, nine black youths were accused of raping two white women, one of whom later recanted her testimony. Eight of the defendants were sentenced to death, although none would be executed. Defense attorney Samuel Lebowitz argued before the Alabama Supreme Court that black people had been kept off the jury rolls, and that names of black people had been added to the rolls after the trial to conceal this fact. The appeals in the case ultimately led to two landmark Supreme Court decisions. In Powell v. Alabama, 1935, the court ruled that criminal defendants are entitled to effective counsel, and in Norris v. Alabama, 1935, that blacks may not be excluded systematically from jury service. Despite Norris, the practice of excluding black people from juries did not disappear. In 1985, the Supreme Court in Batson v. Kentucky addressed a situation where a prosecutor had used his peremptory challenges to strike all four black candidates from a jury and obtained a conviction against the black defendant. The defendant was not able to demonstrate that the state's court system systematically excluded black people from juries but nonetheless raised due process and equal protection arguments in his particular case. In Batson, the court ruled that the defendant could make a prima facie case for purposeful racial discrimination in jury selection by relying on the record and that a state denies a defendant equal protection in a trial before a jury from which members of his race have been purposely excluded. Batson did not eliminate the exclusion of black people from juries. Batson applied only in criminal trials, only to prosecutors, and only in situations where the challenged juror and the defendant were of the same race. The Mississippi Supreme Court noted, in reversing a 2004 murder conviction of a black man, where prosecutors used all 15 of their peremptory strikes to exclude black jurors, racially motivated jury selection is still prevalent 20 years after Batson. In 2010, a white man in Alabama appealed his murder conviction and death sentence after a trial by 11 white jurors and one black juror, stating that jury selection was tainted by racial discrimination in excluding additional black jurors from his jury. Canada Canada has also struggled with the issue of racial discrimination in jury selection, especially for First Nation people. In 2001, Indian and Northern Affairs Canada INAC, stopped producing banned lists of First Nations people living on reserve for provincial jury roles because of privacy concerns. The exclusion of this information from provincial jury roles meant First Nations people living on reserves were not properly represented on juries. The removal of First Nations people living on reserves from provincial jury roles directly collided with the Supreme Court of Canada's 1991 decision of R.V. Sherat 1991-1 SCR 509, wherein the court found that the representativeness right is an essential component of the right to trial by jury. In particular, the court pronounced that the perceived importance of the jury and the charter right to jury trial is meaningless without some guarantee that it will perform its duties impartially and represent, as far as is possible and appropriate in the circumstances, the larger community. Indeed, without the two characteristics of impartiality and representativeness, a jury would be unable to perform properly many of the functions that make its existence desirable in the first place. The Supreme Court of Canada in 2015 evolved the issue of a representative right in jury trials in the case of RV Coco P. Nance, 2015 SCR 28, wherein the court held that an accused is not entitled to a jury that includes members of their own race or religion, rather, they are only entitled to a fair and honest process of random jury selection. The issue of representative right is not dead or a decided issue. In 2018 the federal government introduced Bill C-75 in response to the Colton Bushy case. Bill C-75 eliminated peremptory challenges of jurors in criminal cases, thereby preventing the exclusion of jurors by both Crown and defense counsels. Bill C-75 became law on June 21, 2019, 
which coincidentally happens to be National Indigenous Peoples Day in Canada. Okay, now that we got a little background, what is a jury of peers? While it isn't specifically stated anywhere in the Constitution, criminal defendants generally have the right to be tried by a jury of peers. You may be wondering what exactly that entails. Contrary to popular belief, defendants are not entitled to a jury containing members of their own race, gender, age, or sexual orientation. So what exactly is a jury of peers and what are defendants' rights in this respect? The following is a brief overview. A jury of your peers, the basics. The phrase a jury of peers dates back to the signing of the Magna Carta in England. At that point, the provision ensured that members of the nobility were tried by a jury comprised of fellow nobles, rather than being judged by the king. Now, however, this phrase more accurately means a jury of fellow citizens. While courts don't have to ensure that a defendant's race, gender, or age group is represented in the jury pool, the U.S. Supreme Court has held that courts may not remove a potential juror based solely on their race or gender. In practice, however, potential jurors often are removed for what appears to be their gender or race, even though the removal is for other stated reasons, or for no particular reason at all. The Jury Selection Process The state puts together a jury of peers by first randomly selecting local citizens for the jury pool. The pool is then shaped during the jury selection, or voir dire, phase of the trial. During jury selection, the judge, prosecution, and defense question each potential juror in order to determine whether there's anything in the juror's background that may prejudice their judgment in the case. The prosecutors and defense attorneys may then object to the inclusion of certain jurors. Attorneys have two types of objections to potential jurors, challenges for cause and peremptory challenges. While attorneys must have a legitimate reason to exclude a juror when making a challenge for cause, they typically don't need to give reasons for peremptory challenges. In the past, prosecutors and defense attorneys may have used peremptory challenges to exclude jurors who were either of the same or different race or background as the defendant. In a number of recent decisions, however, the Supreme Court has placed restrictions on attorneys' ability to use peremptory challenges based on a juror's race, gender, or other attributes. Challenges based on race While courts aren't required to include members of a defendant's race to create a jury of peers, attorneys can't exclude a juror based on race during jury selection. In Batson v. Kentucky, James Batson, an African-American man, was on trial for burglary and receipt of stolen goods. The prosecutor in the case used peremptory challenges to exclude all four African-American members of the jury pool, effectively creating an all-white jury. After being convicted of the crimes, Batson appealed the decision to the Supreme Court, arguing that the removal of the black jurors violated his rights under the Sixth and Fourteenth Amendments. The court ruled in Batson's favor. It found that while a defendant has no right to a jury composed, in whole or in part, of persons of their race, the state can't exclude jurors simply because they're of the same race as the defendant. Challenges based on gender, age, or sexual orientation. Courts aren't only prohibited from removing a juror on account of their race, they also may not exclude a juror on the basis of gender. The Supreme Court has ruled that challenges based solely on the sex of a juror are unconstitutional. As a result, Attorneys may not challenge a potential juror merely because the juror is a man or a woman. While race and gender are off-limits, there are a few other traits that attorneys may use as the basis for challenging a potential juror. For example, attorneys may use a peremptory challenge on the basis of a juror's age. Some attorneys may feel that a juror who is either very young or elderly, for instance, may have a harder time keeping track of the details involved in a complex case. In addition, courts have not yet deemed challenges based on a juror's sexual orientation unconstitutional. As a result, attorneys may be able to use peremptory challenges to remove a juror based on their sexual orientation. It should be noted, however, 
that this is a developing area of law. Protect your right to a jury of your peers, contact an attorney. Jury selection is a very specialized practice and raising effective juror challenges often requires sophisticated strategies. An experienced attorney can handle selecting a jury with aplomb. If you have questions about this or any specific case, consider retaining the services of an experienced criminal defense attorney. Let's take a look at how prosecutors, still, keep black people off juries. Update, May 23, 2017 The Supreme Court has reversed the conviction of Timothy Foster on the basis that prosecutors violated the Constitution by removing black people from the jury on the basis of their race. There is no doubt this will mean Foster will get a new trial, said his lawyer, Stephen Bright, according to ABC News but the decision did nothing to rein in the ability of lawyers to reject potential jurors without reason. Read on. The exclusion of black people from juries is a hot topic as the United States Supreme Court considers the case of Timothy Foster, a black man charged with murdering an elderly white woman in Georgia some three decades ago. In 1987, Foster was convicted and sentenced to death by an all-white jury, after prosecution lawyers used their so-called peremptory strikes to disqualify all the blacks in the jury pool, citing race-neutral reasons. Up until this point in the case, the courts had accepted those alternative rationales. But the prosecutor's notes from jury selection, which were finally revealed thanks to a Public Records Act request, suggest a deliberate exclusion strategy. On the list of prospective jurors, the black names were circled, highlighted in green, and marked with a B. They were also ranked, as an investigator for the prosecution noted in an affidavit, in case it comes down to having to pick one of the black jurors. Ouch. On Tuesday, Mother Jones reporter Stephanie Mensimer tracked down one of those rejected jurors, who recalled the prosecutors treating her like I was a criminal. Isn't this as clear a Batson violation as this court is likely to see, asked Justice Elena Kagan. We have an arsenal of smoking guns, Foster's lawyer, the famed Capitol defender Stephen Bright, told the High Court during Monday's oral arguments. Several justices seemed to agree. Isn't this as clear a Batson violation as this court is likely to see, asked Justice Elena Kagan. She was referring to the 1986 case of Batson v. Kentucky, in which the Supreme Court explicitly prohibited the striking of jurors based on ethnicity. But the legal profession has long looked the other way as prosecutors come to court armed with what, in the Foster case, was described as a laundry list of alternative explanations for a juror's removal. Things like, oh, this juror is about the defendant's age, or they grew up in the same part of the city. Among other things, Foster's lead prosecutor noted that several of the prospective black jurors he dismissed hadn't made sufficient eye contact when he questioned them. In any case, it's not hard to invent reasonable-sounding explanations for striking a juror, and therein lies the problem. Only when you run the numbers does the racist intent comes into sharp focus. I knew I would vote for the death penalty because that's what that end deserved. For a little context, it's helpful to look at portions of Mark Bookman's recent essay about Kenneth Foltz, another Georgia death row inmate. One of the jurors in that case, a white man, later made the following statement under oath, that nigger got just what should have happened. Once he pled guilty, I knew I would vote for the death penalty because that's what that nigger deserved. The white lawyer assigned to defend Fultz also used the N-word with abandon. But none of this was enough to convince skeptical courts to grant Fultz a resentencing. In his essay, Bookman explains how the legal system is rigged against black defendants, and why, without an arsenal of smoking guns, arguing racial discrimination is usually a losing game. Consider one of the most famous examples, the 1987 Supreme Court case of McCleskey v. Kemp, in which lawyers for Warren McCleskey, a black man sentenced to death for killing a white police officer, presented statistics from more than 2,000 Georgia murder cases. 
The data demonstrated a clear bias against black defendants whose victims were white, when both killer and victim were black, only 1% of the cases resulted in a death sentence. When the killer was black and the victim white, 22% were sentenced to death more than seven times the rate for when the races were reversed. It wasn't just jurors who were biased. Prosecutors sought the death penalty for black defendants in 70% of murder cases when the victim was white, but only 15% when the victim was black. The Supreme Court was less than impressed with all of this. Justice Lewis Powell, in a 5-4 majority opinion he would later call his greatest regret on the bench, wrote that McCleskey could not prove that the decision-makers in his case acted with discriminatory purpose. In short, evidence of systemic racial bias had no relevance in individual cases. Georgia executed McCleskey in 1991, but the McCleskey rationale which the New York Times labeled the impossible burden of proving that racial animus motivated any particular prosecutor, judge, or jury has been used by dozens of courts to reject statistical claims of discrimination in capital cases, even though today's numbers are not much better. Bookman goes on to detail the sordid history of jury stacking. The phrase legal lynching first appeared in the New York Times during the infamous 1931 Scottsboro Boys Trials, in which nine black youths were charged with raping two white women in Alabama. Their lack of counsel, coupled with the explicit exclusion of black jurors, led the Supreme Court to intercede twice and reverse convictions. It's hard to read those opinions today without feeling a sense of horror. Within two weeks of the alleged crime, eight of the nine young men had been sentenced to death in three separate trials by the same jury. Although there was no shortage of black men in Scottsboro County who were legally eligible to serve on juries, there was no record of any of them ever serving on one. Perhaps most remarkably, none of the defendants had a lawyer appointed to represent him until the morning of trial. In 2013, more than 80 years after the arrests, the Alabama Board of Pardons and Paroles posthumously pardoned the three Scottsboro boys whose convictions still stood. Question them at length, said one prosecutor, referring to people of color. Mark something down that you can articulate at a later time. We have not come nearly as far from these outrages as you might think. People of color are still dramatically underrepresented, PDF, on juries and grand juries, even though excluding people based on race is illegal and undermines public confidence in our system of justice, as the Supreme Court put it in 1986. Prospective black jurors are routinely dismissed at higher rates than whites. The law simply requires some rationale other than skin color. Question them at length. A prominent Philadelphia prosecutor suggested to his protégés after the Supreme Court banned race as a reason for striking jurors. Mark something down that you can articulate at a later time. For instance, a lawyer might say, well, the woman had a kid about the same age as the defendant, and I thought she'd be sympathetic to him. In 2005, a former prosecutor in Texas revealed that her superiors had instructed her that if she wanted to strike a black juror, she should falsely claim she'd seen the person sleeping. This was just a dressed-up version of the Dallas Prosecution Training Manual from 1963, which directed assistant district attorneys to not take Jews, Negroes, Dagos, Mexicans, or a member of any minority race on a jury, no matter how rich or how well-educated. The 1969 edition of the manual, used into the 1980s, promoted a more subtle brand of stereotyping, noting that it was not advisable to select potential jurors with multiple gold chains around their necks. But it hardly mattered, overt, covered, or in between the result was the same. Virtually every state with a death penalty has dealt with accusations that black jurors have been improperly kept off juries. During the 1992 death penalty trial of a defendant named George Williams, for example, a California prosecutor dismissed the first five black women in the jury box. Sometimes you get a feel for a person, he explained, that you just know that they can't impose it based upon the nature of the way that they say something.
The judge went even further, noting that black women are very reluctant to impose the death penalty, they find it very difficult. In 2013, the California Supreme Court ruled that these jury strikes were not race-based, and deemed the judge's statement isolated. Williams remains on death row. After North Carolina passed its Racial Justice Act, a 2009 law that let inmates challenge death sentences based on racial bias, a state court determined that prosecutors were dismissing black jurors at twice the rate of other jurors. The probability of this being a race-neutral fluke, according to two professors from Michigan State University, was less than 1 in 10 trillion, even the state's expert agreed that the disparity was statistically significant. Based on these numbers, the court vacated the death sentences of three inmates and resentenced each to life without parole. Six months later, the state legislature repealed the Racial Justice Act. Finally, in an earlier essay on the case of Andre Thomas, a death row inmate with a long and bizarre history of mental illness, Bookman described yet another ploy to keep black people off Texas juries. It's called the shuffle. The pool of potential jurors, known as a venire, are seated in a room, and with no information other than what the jurors look like, either side can request that they be shuffled recited in a different order. The order of the venire, it turns out, is crucial to the jury's final makeup. That's because each juror is questioned in turn, and if lawyers from either side want to exercise their right to disqualify someone, they have to do it then and there. If it looks like one side is striking a juror based on race which is not allowed the other side can mount a challenge. Hence the shuffle, at Andre's trial, there were initially six African Americans seated in the first two rows. After the shuffle which proceeded without any objection by the defense there were no blacks in the first five rows. Ultimately, two black jurors were questioned and dismissed. When all was said and done, the entire jury not to mention the judge and all of the lawyers was white. Okay, let's take a look at the Supreme Court ruling that prosecutors intentionally kept black people off jury. The Supreme Court rebuked Georgia prosecutors and judges Monday for having excluded black citizens from the murder trial of a black defendant, and then denying his claims of racial bias even after stark new evidence was revealed. In an unusually biting opinion, Chief Justice John G. Roberts Jr. said it was nonsense and not credible for prosecutors to claim they acted for legitimate reasons when they struck several blacks from the jury pool. For example, a prosecutor said one black juror was excluded because his son was convicted of basically the same thing as the defendant, who was charged with rape and murder. In fact, the man's son had been given a suspended sentence five years earlier for stealing hubcaps from a car. Roberts cited the shifting explanations, the misrepresentations, and the persistent focus on race in the prosecution's file, which, bear upon the issue of racial animosity. The evidence plainly demonstrates a concerted effort to keep black prospective jurors off the jury. The 7-to-1 decision overturned the Georgia Supreme Court and told its judges to consider whether a new trial is warranted in the nearly 30-year-old case of Timothy Tyrone Foster. He was convicted of strangling a 79-year-old white woman in Rome, GA, and sentenced to death. The High Court did not announce a new legal rule for such cases or even say precisely what should happen next in Foster's case. But the Chief Justice's opinion sends a warning to judges that they have a duty to watch over prosecutors when juries are being selected. Typically in criminal trials, both the prosecutor and the defense lawyer are permitted to strike an equal number of potential jurors based on a suspicion that these people will not view their case favorably. The notion is that these peremptory strikes will lead to a panel of jurors who can fairly decide the defendant's guilt or innocence. But in 1986, the Supreme Court announced a new rule and said potential jurors may not be excluded because of their race. In Batson v. Kentucky, the justices told trial judges to question prosecutors if it appeared they were systematically striking blacks from the jury. These so-called Batson challenges are a regular feature of trials. But the system has many critics. 
It depends on the honesty of prosecutors and the willingness of trial judges to probe the reasons for excluding particular jurors. Stephen Bright, a prominent defense attorney and president of the Southern Center for Human Rights, appealed Foster's case to the High Court after notes in the prosecutor's files revealed the potential jurors had been marked and coded by race. He applauded Monday's ruling and said it will lead to a new trial for Foster. But he also noted this was the rare case where the prosecutor's note revealed their racial bias. Two peremptory strikes on the basis of race are two more than the Constitution allows. Chief Justice John G. Roberts Jr. Usually that does not happen, Bright said. The practice of discriminating in striking jurors continues in courtrooms across the country. Usually courts ignore the patterns of race discrimination and accept false reasons for the strikes. Even after the undeniable evidence of discrimination was presented in this case, the Georgia courts ignored it and upheld Foster's conviction and death sentence. All the justices but Clarence Thomas agreed in ruling for Foster. However, Justice Samuel A. Alito Jr. in a concurring opinion, said the Georgia courts may have procedural reasons for not giving Foster a new trial now. The concern for racial bias in juries is a not new for Roberts and Alito. They joined past rulings from Texas and Louisiana which had overturned the murder convictions of black defendants who were tried by all-white juries. In Monday's opinion, Roberts said the evidence of racial bias was apparent. Roberts said files revealed during one of Foster's appeals showed the prosecutors had carefully tracked the black members of the jury pool as B hashtag 1 and B hashtag 2 and so on. On one file was marked no. No black church, suggesting black citizens should be excluded if they mentioned their church. He all but accused the state and its prosecutors of lying to cover up what they had done. The state attempts to explain away the newly revealed evidence is not an example of a prosecutor merely mispeaking. This was not some off-the-cuff remark. It was an intricate story expounded by the prosecution in writing, laid out over three single-spaced pages in a brief filed with the trial court, Roberts said. Two peremptory strikes on the basis of race are two more than the Constitution allows, he said. The High Court stopped short of actually overturning Foster's conviction and death sentence. Instead, it said the Georgia Supreme Court decision rejecting his race bias claim is reversed and the case is remanded for further proceedings not inconsistent with this opinion. In his dissent, Thomas said Foster had confessed to the murder of the elderly white woman, and he questioned why the court affords a death row inmate another opportunity to relitigate his long final conviction. Thomas said the prosecutors appeared to have rejected several black women for the jury because they believed the women would not vote for a death sentence. In other rulings Monday, the court threw out an appeal from three Republican representatives who wanted to preserve election districts in Virginia that were deemed to be racially gerrymandered. The court by an 8-0 vote said the lawmakers had no standing to sue. The court also cleared the way for a retired black postal worker from Colorado to sue for racial discrimination. Marvin Green said he was essentially fired when he was told that his only option was to leave the Denver area and take a lower-paying post in Wamsutter, Wyo. In a 7-1 decision in Green v. Brennan, the court said his suit was timely because he filed it within 45 days of the time he opted to retire. Thomas dissented and questioned whether the worker's constructive discharge can be considered akin to being fired. Lastingly, let's finally take a look at, jury of your peers and how it rarely applies to African Americans. The right to a jury trial is a hallmark of the American criminal justice system and defendants generally have the right to be tried by a jury of their peers. If accused of a crime, American justice supposedly guarantees the right to a trial in front of a jury of your peers. However noble the idea might be in theory, many legal experts acknowledge that, due to systemic racism, having a jury of your peers is often just an illusion. For African Americans, systemic racism in the criminal justice system has greatly contributed to mass incarceration, partly because blacks are more likely to be profiled, pulled over by police, searched, 
and arrested, according to legal experts. Once arrested, African Americans also are more likely to be detained prior to their hearing, which could take months. Jury selection creates another concern, said Charlotte, and based attorney, Darlene Harris, who after trying a recent murder trial, spoke to a white male juror who shared that a lot of the jurors could not understand the African American defendant. When a juror is unable to relate to a person accused of a crime, the defendant is more likely to face stiffer penalties, up to and including life in prison. The two people who could relate to the defendant happened to be black women. They were able to shed information that led the group to finding the defendant guilty of second-degree murder as opposed first-degree murder, which would have resulted in a life sentence. That and other experiences led Harris to question how much different the outcome would have been if there were black men, from the same socio-economic background as the defendant, on the jury. The scourge of racism manifests in discriminatory policies and practices such as the war on drugs, stop and frisk, and three strikes you're out, Harris said. Consequently, black men are profiled more often, punished more frequently and more harshly than any other group in the United States. The sentencing project estimates there are presently 2.2 million people incarcerated in America. Black men born in 2001 have a 1 in 3 chance of being incarcerated. Given these distressing numbers, black men appear to have a higher risk of being knocked out of juror pools, Harris said. When you couple racist policies and practices with socioeconomics, the share of black men available for jury selection is further diminished and since people must take time off work to serve on juries, only people who can afford to miss a paycheck, people with paid time off or flexible work arrangements can afford to serve on a jury, Harris said. Keep in mind that trials for serious crimes are lengthy, a recent murder trial that I was a part of lasted one month. How many of us can afford to skip a month's pay? While a judge is not required to exempt someone from jury duty because the person can't afford to go without a paycheck, defense attorneys are ill-served by forcing a person to miss pay to be their juror, Harris added. The right to a jury trial is a hallmark of the American criminal justice system and defendants generally have the right to be tried by a jury of their peers, said Wakshia Jackson, founder of the Atlanta-based Jackson and Low Law Group. In explaining the meaning of having a jury of your peers, Jackson said defendants aren't entitled to a jury containing members of their own race, gender, age, or sexual orientation. Most accurately, jury of your peers means jury of fellow citizens, she said. Nonetheless, widespread discrimination remains in the jury selection process, Jackson said. While courts don't have to ensure that a defendant's race, gender, age, or sexual orientation is represented in a jury pool, the Supreme Court has long held courts may not remove a potential juror solely based on these factors, she said. For more than a century, racial minorities have been protected from jury discrimination in theory but in practice, these laws have little actual protection and one critical factor that impacts African-American eligibility to participate in jury pool is the felon jury exclusion rule, Jackson said. Throughout the country, African-Americans are overrepresented in felony convictions and therefore more likely to be excluded from jury pools because individuals cannot serve as a juror if they've been convicted of a felony. The felony jury exclusion rule dramatically reduces the number of African-Americans eligible for jury selection because roughly, one-third of the adult African-American male population has been convicted of a felony and, in many jurisdictions, these citizens are forever barred from serving on a jury, Jackson said. Race has a tremendous impact in criminal trials, at least one African-American juror can help even the playing field when it comes to verdicts. Race matters in the courtroom and race relates to perception and judgment, especially when a case is about race. The landmark 1986 case of Batson v. Kentucky established that lawyers aren't permitted to engage in systematic exercise of peremptory challenges of prospective jurors based solely upon such suspect criteria. However, if the attorney, whether it be prosecutor of defense attorney, 
can establish an age, race, ethnicity, or gender-neutral reason for the use of the peremptory challenge, the court will permit it, said Western Michigan University Cooley Law School professor and former Miami-Dade judge, Jeff Swartz. The jury pool should be made of such a representative cross-section in the same proportion as found in the community. Does this mean that on many occasions that a black defendant may end up with an all-white jury? Yes, it does. Jackson added that those who are not African-American haven't experienced the racial discrimination and verbal abuse that are far too common for members of the black community. Jurors from all-white jury pools convict African-American defendants significantly more often than white defendants and this gap in conviction rate is entirely eliminated when the jury pool includes at least one African-American member, she said. The makeup of a jury can mean the difference between a conviction and an acquittal, Jackson said. In closing, or should I say a wrap-up, Let's take a look at a case study from the NAACP Legal Defense and Educational Funds called, History of Challenging Racial Discrimination in Jury Selection. The NAACP Legal Defense and Educational Fund Incorporated, LDF, celebrates the 30th anniversary of Batson v. Kentucky, a U.S. Supreme Court case that prohibits the exclusion of jurors based solely on their race as a violation of the 14th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. Importantly, the case created a new legal standard and opportunity to challenge racial discrimination in jury selection. LDF has fought to ensure that the American criminal justice system is free of discrimination decades before Batson, and in the decades since. The right to a jury trial is a hallmark of the American criminal justice system. The fairness of the system, however, has continuously been called into question because of the tension between the constitutional guarantee of equal protection in courtrooms and the practice of allowing prosecutors to use peremptory challenges to remove jurors from serving for any reason. Despite the guarantee of a trial by jury of one's peers, courts throughout the nation have allowed blacks who were charged with crimes to be tried by all-white juries. As a result, legal lynchings against black defendants remain a common practice within the American judicial system. Pre-Batson cases challenging jury discrimination. Swain v. Alabama, 1965 two decades before Batson, LDF confronted the issue of racial discrimination. In the jury selection process in the Supreme Court case of Swain v. Alabama, which involved a black man, Mr. Swain, accused of raping a white girl. The prosecutor used his peremptory challenges to eliminate all six prospective black jurors. Mr. Swain was convicted, and, on appeal, LDF argued that Mr. Swain was denied equal protection by Alabama's exercise of peremptory challenges to exclude blacks from the Petit jury. LDF also unsuccessfully attempted to introduce evidence showing that no black person had served on a jury in that county since 1950. The U.S. Supreme Court sided with the prosecution and found no constitutional violation. The court held that, in order for Mr. Swain to establish that he was denied equal protection, he had to prove that the prosecutors at trial intentionally discriminated against black potential jurors when they were excluded from the jury an almost impossible standard to meet. The bar was so high that no litigant won a Swain claim for 20 years. As a result, defendants continued to be convicted and executed based on verdicts by all-white juries. This was until Swain was overturned by Batson v. Kentucky. Alexander v. Louisiana, 1972 Seven years after Swain, LDF brought a related issue to the Supreme Court's attention, racial discrimination in the grand jury selection progress. In Alexander v. Louisiana, LDF challenged the rape conviction of a black man who had been indicted by an all-white jury in Lafayette Parish, Louisiana. The local court clerk testified that race never entered into the selection process, 
but the facts suggested otherwise. The grand jury was picked by a body of jury commissioners. All of them white, from jury forms that listed the race of each prospective grand juror. Although 14% of the grand jurors who returned jury forms were black, only 7% of the grand jurors selected by the commissioners were black. In the case of Mr. Alexander, only 5% of his grand jury venire was black, and not a single member of his actual grand jury was black. Despite the lack of evidence of intentional discrimination, the Supreme Court determined that the grand jury selection process violated the Equal Protection Clause and reversed Mr. Alexander's conviction. The court noted that the grand jury selection process provided a clear and easy opportunity for racial discrimination, and that random chance was a statistically improbable explanation for the systemic removal of prospective black grand jurors. The Supreme Court's Batson decision. The Supreme Court revisited the issue of racially based peremptory challenges again in Batson v. Kentucky. This case involved a black man who was charged with second-degree burglary and the possession of stolen goods. Four black jurors were struck by the prosecution, leaving an all-white jury. Mr. Batson's attorney sought to have the jury dismissed, arguing that the removal of all of the black jurors denied Mr. Batson of his 14th Amendment equal protection rights. LDF filed an amicus curiae, or friend of the court, brief in support of Mr. Batson, emphasizing the importance of the equal protection issue. This time, the Supreme Court ruled in favor of the defendant, Mr. Batson, finding that removing black jurors from the trial was a violation of the 14th Amendment. The court held it was unconstitutional for attorneys to exclude jurors based on race or the belief that a juror cannot impartially rule on the case because of his or her race. In Batson, the court lowered the standard of proof for determining whether a peremptory challenge is racially discriminatory. Instead of demonstrating intentional discrimination, one need only show an inference of discrimination through facts and circumstances, at which point the burden shifts to the prosecutor to explain why he or she removed black potential jurors. If the prosecutor fails to give a legitimate, non-racial reason for each strike, the trial court can conclude that the prosecutor acted on the basis of race and put the struck jurors back on the jury venire. In his concurring opinion, Justice Thurgood Marshall, LDF's founder and first director counsel, expressed his view that the court should have abolished peremptory challenges altogether. He feared that Batson did not go far enough, and predicted that the Batson framework would be ineffective in abolishing all discriminatory use of peremptory challenges. Justice Marshall also argued that it is extremely difficult to assess the motives of prosecutors, especially when a strike can be attributed to the prosecutor's unconscious bias, and where an explanation based on demeanor can be used to mask a prosecutor's racial bias. Post-Batson Cases Challenging Jury Discrimination Johnson v. California, 2005 LDF has continued to challenge racially based peremptory challenges and strengthen the constitutional protections under Batson. For example, in Johnson v. California, LDF urged the Supreme Court to reject California's claim that, to establish a prima facie Batson violation, a defendant must not only raise an inference of discrimination, but must prove that the strike was more likely than not motivated by racially discriminatory intent. Recognizing the difficulty of finding evidence that would conclusively prove discriminatory intent, LDF urged the court to reject this standard. The court ultimately did, explaining, we did not intend that a defendant would have to persuade the judge on the basis of all the facts, some of which are impossible for the defendant to know. With certainty. 
Miller L. V. Dritke, 2005 Also in 2005, LDF participated as amicus curiae in the Supreme Court case. Miller L. V. Dritke, a capital case that highlighted the prescience of Justice Marshall's misgivings with Batson. In Miller L., the entire jury selection process was suffused with racially motivated acts by the prosecution. Eleven black prospective jurors made it far enough in the jury selection process to be peremptorily challenged by the prosecution. The prosecution struck ten of them. When forced to justify their strikes of black jurors, the prosecutor gave answers that were unsupported by the record or that applied equally to white jurors who were not struck. In addition, the prosecution used procedural tricks to reshuffle the jury pool and put black jurors at the back of the line. And the prosecution asked black jurors different questions than white jurors during the jury selection process questions that were intended to elicit disqualifying answers. Despite this trove of evidence that the prosecution was intentionally purging the jury pool of black jurors, the trial court ignored the evidence of racial bias and rejected Mr. Millerell's claims as did the Texas Criminal Court of Appeals, the Federal District Court, and the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. Finally, after 20 years on death row, Mr. Millerell's conviction was vacated by the Supreme Court, which found that the prosecution had violated the Equal Protection Clause by intentionally striking prospective black jurors from the jury pool. Edmondson v. Leesville, 1991 LDF has also recognized the danger of racially discriminatory peremptory challenges in the civil context, particularly for blacks seeking monetary relief. In Edmondson v. Leesville, Concrete Co. Incorporated, LDF filed an amicus curiae brief on behalf of Thaddeus Edmondson, a black construction worker injured after a co-worker negligently allowed a company truck to roll back into him, pinning him against construction equipment. During voir dire, his employer, Leesville Concrete, used two of its three peremptory challenges to remove blacks from the prospective jury. Although the jury, in which 11 of 12 of the jurors were white, found that Mr. Edmondson had suffered approximately $90,000 in damages, it reduced his damages to merely $18,000. The Supreme Court reversed the decision on account of Leesville Concrete's use of racially discriminatory peremptory strikes. As the court explained, to allow racial discrimination in jury selection, whether in a civil or criminal case, would run counter to the fundamental role that courts play in our country. In short, racial bias mars the integrity of the judicial system and prevents the idea of democratic government from becoming a reality. To permit racial discrimination in the courthouse, whether in a civil or criminal case, compounds the racial insult inherent in judging a citizen by the color of his or her skin. LDF celebrates Batson despite its imperfections because its efforts to root out racial discrimination in jury selection has added legitimacy to a criminal justice system that has been long plagued with systemic racism. Batson makes clear that not even a single juror can be excluded based on his or her race and gives litigants, including LDF, the tools to combat those who attempt to do so. Once again, the Supreme Court is confronting the issue of discrimination in jury selection in Foster v. Chapman. Just as when LDF first confronted this issue in 1965, the prosecutor used four of his peremptory challenges to strike all the remaining black jurors. From the trial record, which included the prosecutor's own notes, it is clear that the strikes were based on the prospective juror's race. LDF hopes that the court uses this case as an opportunity to reaffirm and strengthen its landmark ruling in Batson. Hey doggy, what y'all think about that? Jewelry, 
duty. Jury selection. Jury of your peers. Oh, excuse me. Excuse me. Sorry about that. Now, I don't know about y'all, but I learned a lot here. Now, I kind of knew about jury selection. And I think the only time that I was ever selected for a jury is when I was in Delaware. I had to take off work, had to go down there, but they didn't select me. I just sitting there with a whole bunch of people. Glad they didn't have COVID back then because we all would have been sick. It just a whole bunch of people heard up in this little room to wait on these folks to call you, I guess, where they can do what they do. Now, back then, I had no idea of what was going on. They just heard us into this room, put us in this room. I don't know nothing about no trials or anything like that. And um, and uh, one by one, they started calling people out, but I didn't know why they was calling people out. I didn't have all the information back then. I just knew that them folks, they show down here for jury, for, for jury, uh, for jury selection, and if you don't come down here, we're going to put you in jail. So I just went down there and tried to do my civic duty because I didn't want to get put in jail. But now I know that what this thing is all about, how what is going on when they heard you in this room for jury selection and why they pull you out one by one because these lawyers be interviewing you, you see. And pretty much what these lawyers be doing is they say interviewing, but if I call it, they be profiling you. Because that's all jury selection is with, with these lawyers is profiling. You know, they say they got 15 strikes. Those 15 strikes is if they don't, if, if they don't like a juror, they can strike him from the jury duty. They just send him home. That's what strong thing striking means is just dismissing. But what they're doing is they're profiling you. That's all they're doing. Now, what biggest thing that I learned that my mind has changed on, my, my conception of what I thought and what I was taught Jury, you know, uh, having a jury of your peers mean. You know, I was thinking having a jury of your peers mean that you was being judged by people of your skin color. You know, or predominantly your your, your skin color, your, your skin color, or economical background, or um, or um, you know, or or lifestyle. You know, whatever economic background, lifestyle, they both the same. But but judging so but judged by. People of your color, because people of your, your color or people of your economic status or people that lives, live in your environment, those are the only people that can understand you. You know, how can, how, you know, how can somebody rich from Beverly Hills, you know, understand, you know, somebody that's, that's, uh, that, that's living in Compton? You know, for an example, they can't understand that person living in Compton. They already have a bias toward that person living in Compton. The person living in Compton, he's a thief. He's a criminal. He ain't no good. He ain't no he's low life. So how is somebody? So how is somebody from you know Beverly Hills going to build going to judge somebody from Compton because they already have a bias against them, and that's the same thing from somebody from Compton judging somebody from Beverly Hills. They have a bias against them. You know those rich people. You know they ain't nothing. You know they got a all automatically built in in bias. So I understand the jury selection process, and I understand that you know you can't have you. you I understand that you can't have nobody from Beverly Hills. Judging somebody from Beverly Hills. And you can't have nobody from Compton judging nobody from Compton. I understand that. I understand it has to be a balance. But what but what these lawyers go through and do with this with, with this jury striking and profiling, what I call is they stack the jury. And for a long time, long time ago, back back in the day, right? Black people they didn't want black folks as no jurors because they thought black black folks was too dumb. That you know we we couldn't be impartial. You know we 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 uh, we we couldn't follow. You know we well, we couldn't follow the evidence. 
You know, we couldn't, we didn't understand words. And that may have been true to a certain extent because black folks couldn't read. Not to say that black folks didn't have a common understanding of right and wrong, but black folks couldn't read. And when you get into this court system, they use all these high and mighty words. So, yes, at one time, I don't think blacks could have sit, sit on juries, even, even though the black folks were being railroaded out the back door on a lot of these trials, like they're still being railroaded on these trials today. You see? Now, my whole thing of it is, is my understanding, again, is jury selection is not, you, you know, you being, uh, I mean, not jury selection, but judge being judged by your peers is not you being judged by, you know, the same folks, you know, with your skin tone. You know, in other words, if you go to, if you, uh, if you have a 12-man jury and you go to, and you go to jail, you get prosecuted for something, the jury don't have to be predominantly black. Now, see, for years, though, like I say, again, what the unfairness is, that's what, that's what the Magna Carta in England, you know, it was when uh, being judged by your peers started, like they say, from the Magna Carta in England, to where the king, your peers, you, the king's subjects, right, the king's subjects has to be judged by the king's subjects, no matter what color they are, all right, the king couldn't judge them, that's because the, the king and the subjects are not peers. They're not on the same level. That's where all this started. So for all everybody out there who's thinking that being judged by your peers mean being by people of your color or your economic, your, your economic status, you're partially right. It does mean your social status. Judging your peers, anybody in your social status. And your social status can be defined by rich Middle class and poor, y'all all part of a social status. It can be classified like that, you know, because we're talking about now you and a congressman or a senator, y'all are not in, in the same social class. You see, you can't have all congressmen, you know, which I guess you can here. You can't have all congressmen judging you, you know, sitting, sitting, on, sitting on the jury judging you. You know, because they do what they want to do. But technically, they can't because you are, they are not in the same social class as you. That's a government official. That's, but not, but see, but we have to see, we have the Supreme Court, right? Supreme Court is a government body. And you also have, you are, that's why you don't have uh, judges. That's why you don't have 12 judges sitting there judging people because they are, they are a different social class than you are. You see what I'm saying? You know, you can't have 12 lawyers. Sitting up there judging you on a jury trial because they're in a different social class. You see, because that's the law. That's that's you know that that that's uh that's a that's a government body that dictates. See, I'm thinking I'm saying that right. But the thing that I look at here is that when I live all this little learning that I've been learning about these things is that man, y'all don't want to get in the system. You don't want to get caught up in this system, man. This thing is so rigged. Let me, like I always tell people, you know, people always say the data don't lie or computers don't lie. That's the truth. The data don't lie, computer don't lie, but the people who put the data into the computer, they lie. <laughs> and that's just like the system here. I mean, the system is, like I tell y'all, the system is a beautiful system that we have. But the thing about it is that you have people that manipulates the system. And you have all this biases and this unfairness into the system because of people there's no way you know there's no way that that um there's no way that 12 white folks 
should judge one black person on trial. Because auto, especially with black makers, automatically when whenever whenever white folks is on 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 jury doing they 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 they, they on trial, they look at a black a black person, especially a black man, and he's he's masculine. You know, he's 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 not one of them little sissy boys. You know, he's masculine. Automatically, they think he's a predator. Like I told y'all before about what Fifty Cent said about Tupac. He said if Tupac was alive today, which he he got a little older and matured, sure he'd have been a successful businessman. But he said, but back then they looked at, Tyson said he looked at me and Tupac, you know, like we was predators because we were strong, strong black men and we were young, we were predators. But he said, we wasn't no more predators at our young age than any young, young white man in, in, our, in our age group. I mean, you had plenty of doing the same thing we, we was doing. He said, we didn't rape nobody. But when, but when a jury looked at Especially a twelve-person jury. White folks look at a black man on jury. He's automatically guilty. That's why Tupac and Tyson went to jail. Now, now on Tyson uh, jury, I believe Tyson had three, two or three black folks on 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 that on that jury, and they came out and talked about what was going on in the, in the jury room. You know, after it was all over, with. you know, they even say Tyson got railroaded, but he didn't get judged by his peers. You can only way you can get judged by your peers, like I say again, you know, well, I can't say it because the law has written that you that 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 you judge your peers or your social your social group or your social your social status. And that cover a broad range of things. It is is great. Your social status is, I mean, as, as long as you're not a, a king, a judge, a politician. You know, as long as all them folks not sitting on your jury, you can be judged by any regular citizen, no matter what color they are. Now, the law, now that's how the law is written. But then, of course, the lawyers, when the lawyers get involved and they come up with these little slick little ways, you know, like what, like, 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 like the one case, you know, where the lawyer, the uh, Batson case, where the lawyers was was coding stuff on juries, you know. Uh, and then, then in Dallas, Dallas had a handbook in Dallas on how to exclude black jurors. Had little cold things, you know. If you go to Cotola Gap, she go to Quail like falling asleep, then excluded. You know, uh, certain type of intellectual questions and the way they ask those questions to see if you can comprehend to exclude you. You see, these are lawyers. These are people. This, I mean, this is not the law. This is people. And if you go to court and you don't have the right lawyer, then you're gonna get you gonna get railroaded. Cause all these lawyers know the law, but if, but if, but if, but if you get a lawyer who really don't want to fight for you or, or know the law, you gonna get railroaded. Now it's unfortunate to say that, but it's the true facts of life. See, most people think we live in a fantasy world that everything is fair. I think a lot of things is written fair, but the people who in charge to dictate these things. They ain't fair. They have their biases. And I'm going to tell you about these prosecutors, these prosecuting attorneys who work for these city officials who ain't got no budget, who ain't got no accountability. Even if they lose a trial, they'll try to retrial that trial over again, over again, over again until they win because they don't have no budget. See, they can outspend you. You see, that's why they can do these things, you know, like, the, like they're talking about the, the, the one case that went, went up to the Supreme Court. When the Supreme Court found, found, that what, found out that the jury selection was illegal, it wasn't right. The Supreme Court didn't overturn the case. 
All they did was send it, uh, uh, send it back to the Supreme Court down in Philly to, to, to retrial. Prosecutors don't care. They, they got unlimited budget. When you got an unlimited budget, that means that you can do whatever you want to do. You know, it's like old man say, you know, if you don't know something, boy, shoot, say something, say something stupid or say something that's not right. He say somebody will correct you. He said, if, if, and if they correct you, if they try to correct you with something that don't sound right, you know, ask the question again, ask a stupid question again another way. Somebody else will try to correct you. He said, everybody want to be smart. Everybody want to be smart. Everybody want to show how intelligent they is. So you won't have to be right about everything if you don't know it, but you can just go out and know how to dig for the information. But that's what these prosecutors and attorneys do. Even if they don't know if they're right or wrong about something, they will still prosecute somebody. And then... After, after they learn the facts and how to play the game, they'll retrial them again. Because they have unlimited budget. That's why I tell folks, y'all got to stay out of the system. Let me tell you something. Y'all got to stay out this judicial system. I'm about to do this other little part talk on bail bonds. Man, I, it, it scares me. That's why now, man, well, let me tell you, I stop at every stoplight. I stop at every stop sign, every stoplight I stop at. Let me tell you something. You know, I, I try not to speed. Cause I don't want to get hit. I don't want to get put in that system. Once you get put in that system, them folks drain all your money and still send you to jail, right? You can be stone cold innocent, and they would and, and and they would get on them jury selection and buff them things up and still send you to jail. And then if you even appeal, right, they'll prosecute you again to try to send you because they ain't got no budget. Now, y'all know what I mean by that. I'm telling you, these, prosec these prosecutors, they got unlimited budgets. And they can do anything they want to do without accountability. Like some of these judges on some of these cases, these bad jury selection cases. The judges, did, the judges did not hold the prosecutors accountable. Because the judges are supposed to question why the lawyers are striking a juror selection. Well, why you don't want him? And they and they give some frivolous answer. The judge is supposed to challenge it. Because the judge should find out, are you striking this black person because of the color of his skin? Or what's the reason? And like they say, the one got well, well, he was falling asleep. He's gonna pay attention. Or he too old, or he too young. You know, these these gray answers, but but these are answers, these are color-coded answers. But the judges didn't hold them accountable. So it gets swept the Supreme Court, and then the Supreme Court holds them accountable. But there's there, there's there, there's no disciplinary dis, disciplinary recourse to the judge or the lawyers for wasting the Supreme Court time. They just go back and retry it all again because both of them have unlimited budgets. The worst thing that you can do is try to go up against a man that got an unlimited budget. A system that has an unlimited budget. That's the worst thing you can do. You ain't got no fists in your gloves. Okay, how much you holler and complain? The jury is the, the jury is imbalanced. They told the case about the about, about the white fella, how the white fella used it and got away with it. The white fella got, got prosecuted and you, you had 11 white folks on, on the jury and one black. The white folks said, 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 uh, uh, prosecuted uh, 
found, found him guilty, and he turned around and filed a peer, said that, that, that the jury selection was unfair. They had too many white folks. And this a white man did this. They had got too many white folks on there. I'm not being judged by my peers. Because the lawyer of, of, of the guy who appealed it, he understood that jury selection means um, uh, of, 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 my, of, of my social group, my social status. The lawyer knew that. So what the lawyer did was he said, okay, well, even though you had 12 white people writing one black, okay, nope, nope, that's, that's unfair. You should have had a few more blacks on, on, on here. Because you got all these white folks in here on black. Why there's no blacks? This is this is this is not being judged by his peers, not a mix. Because he because he would have took his chance with black folks. Because see, black folks, when black folks on the jury, black folks on the jury even look at white folks like they're innocent. I'm telling you, we still we we still have the same same slave mentality. That white folks are always right. So would you if you would so if the lawyer knew that if you would have picked the right black. Right, his client would have had a better chance than dealing with an all-white jury, a predominantly all-white jury, because if he picked the right black, he he would he would see he he he, he, he would agree with the white folks. So I don't think that was a smart move for him. Say, well, wait a minute now, uh, y'all found me guilty, but I'm not being judged by my peers, because my peers is multiple kind of people. He, well, he couldn't say racial. But he, but he said that you know my my uh, my peers my, my peers is a mixture from from my social economical group, and that's not a mixture from my social economical group because you have all whites. Remember, jury your peers is not based on your color; it's built built on your social state, your your social group, your social, and your social is everybody. Social is not broken off into black white. I mean, but he's broken off into rich, middle class, and poor. No, everybody that's not part of you know part of the king's court or the political court. Those are your social group. Now the white guy got off like that, but how many black folks? How many black folks have got off like that? How many black folks have been tried by all white jury and appealed? Hmm. Those five boys, those five boys, y'all listen to get the five boys that were that they got got accused by them two white gals of raping them. One girl, one girl recanted. They was trying to get them boys the death penalty. Death penalty. They had an all-white jury. Now, how is an all-white jury gonna listen impartially against five black boys? When it comes to raping a white woman, you tell me how twelve white jurors can be impartial. There's no way five white jurors can be impartial. Just just like there's no way that that uh that 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 uh twelve black jurors can be impartial if there's a white boy sitting up there for, for raping two black gals. There's no way. No way. So it's not about what color you stack the jury against, who you stack it against. It's about if it, if if it's oh if you if you're doing it based on color, there's no way that it can be fair. And if you're stacking the jury in your fair own color, then you have an agenda. And most of these prosecutors, they have an agenda. 
And that's their job to have an agenda. Their agenda is to win by any means necessary. They don't care about you because they don't have no accountability. Whether you go to jail for something you ain't did or you get a death penalty is a W in their win column. That's all it is. So, you know, the only thing I'm saying is that when you, you know, look at this jury selection thing and being judged by your peers, if any of y'all out that was thinking that it was one way, far as, you know, based on color, then you're wrong. Being judged by your peers isn't based on color. But but that's not the same, like, 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 like old boy told me, that the lawyers ain't got together and manipulate the system, which they always do. Jury selection is not based on the law. Jury selection is based on prosecutor. What do I need to win? And I'm and, and, and if I'm selecting a jury, since 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 some black person to jail, then I want all, I want a predominantly all white jury. Very simple as that. You have never heard of a case, and I did my research. There has never been a case where there's been an all black jury judging a white person. There has never been an all-Mexican, Hispanic jury judging a white person. And let me tell you something. When it comes to jury selection of your peers, it's just not black. They don't want Jews. They don't want Latinos. You heard about the one case where in the hair book, Israel was written in the hair book, even if they got gold chains on them. We don't want to select them. And he was talking about the Italians. So it's just not a black thing in jury, in jury selection. They didn't want blacks. They didn't want Jews. They, 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 they didn't want uh, Latinos, Mexicans. They didn't want Italians. They only just they wanted white. That's how the system was written in the handbook. Now I'm going to try to get a copy of that handbook, that Dallas handbook on jury selection. I'm going to try to get a copy of that and review that. But don't think because uh, uh, it was only it was only it, it was only written for the Dallas judicial system. It was a handbook for every system on how to exclude jurors. Jurors, jurors that, 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 that were selected to judge their peers. It's just a system. Now, I'm not here to say that, um, like I say again, the way the system is written it's written fair. But the way it is interpreted by the people who interpret it and the motives and, 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 the, uh, and, and the unrestricted financial spending that they can dump on something, that so skews the game. That's who skews the game. So look here. I'm going to get on out of here now. Y'all take a listen to that little thing there again. But but um, y'all ever get a chance? Stop by your local cigar spot. Check out this CAO Amazon Basin. And that's if they got it, if it's seasonal. If not, go online at JR Holtz, CI one of them, and see if they got it, if it's seasonal. But always shop local. Like I always tell y'all, always shop local first. Got to keep our local cigar lounges in, in uh 
in business. And look, another thing here. Don't y'all go buy y'all cigars from these grocery stores. I, I passed by the liquor. I, I don't drink now, but I passed by the liquor store with this gal, right? When the liquor store, the little gal. And then the liquor store, they had cigars and like a, I don't know what kind of humidor it was. And don't y'all buy y'all cigars for no dang on liquor store. Don't y'all buy y'all cigar from some of these little off the sidewalk places. Come on, that's a cigar. You want to get a good quality cigar? Go find you a local cigar spot because local cigar spot. You know the owners take pride in the products that they sell. They gonna make sure that that cigar is humidor right and fresh and ready for you the right way. Not some of these. Uh, places where you go and just go in there and get a cigar and you walk to a liquor store buy a cigar. A liquor store sells liquor. A liquor store don't sell cigars. Okay? A liquor store sells liquor. Don't sell cigars. If you go in a grocery store and a grocery store got a little cigar, a little thing section there, don't buy your cigar from there. A grocery store sells grocery. A grocery store don't sell cigars. Okay? That's just my opinion and not the facts. Now I'm going to get on out of here. Now look here. Like I always tell y'all in leaving. Y'all take care of everybody out there. But more importantly, y'all take care of yourself first. All right now. Hey there, Ken folk. This is Uncle Maduro. Look, if y'all been enjoying these little pie talks here I'll be giving, then want y'all consider buying old Uncle Maduro a cigar. You can go right there to my little wave page there and donate. Donate to Uncle Maduro just for the price of one cigar. And man, let me tell you, I keep on doing these little talks here that I'll be giving.